Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that we could uh, understand and believe and incorporate that great truth that uh, Angela and our choir and orchestra just led us in. We could apply that to our lives, God. Boy, what difference, what impact that could have. Our ability to be patient with others, to love others, to forgive others. When we fully understand what your patience, your love, and your forgiveness has done in our lives. Oh God, may we live like a people who've been freed. God, may we be a part of your work that frees others. That frees others. Maybe beginning right in our very own homes. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to continue today our, our series on the home. We have, I hope you've heard me say very clearly for weeks now that the purpose of the home is to what? Communicate God. All right, that's not very encouraging. <laughs> let's, let's practice for next week. The purpose of the home is to communicate God that's right and you know what as the home and a home might be two people or six people or somewhere in between one person as we there, there's going to be things that we're all going to do together and doing that we're all going to worship together we're going to study God's word together we're going to try to serve God in the world together there's going to be things we all do together we all have the same goal but there's also a way in which each of us plays a unique role now, now think about this. We're going to watch two teams today. A lot of us are. And uh, boy, won't it be fun to eat celery while we do that. <laughs> oh, and throw some raisins on it. That'll ramp it up a whole bunch. Uh, boy, we've put Walmart out of business. We've just taken all the fun out of Super Bowl with no Frito-Lay products. But... Uh, uh, you know, folks, we're going to watch two teams this afternoon that you think about these, on these teams, they all have the same goal, and that's to score to stop the other team from scoring, and ultimately, to win. It's like we have this big overarching goal to communicate God as a family. A, a, a team in the Super Bowl has the goal to win. And, and they're all going to do some very similar things. They're all going to run as hard as they can. They're all going to hit as hard as they can. They're all going to give 110%. But while there is these common goals, they also have very distinct goals, don't they? I mean, the goal and the job of the quarterback is completely and totally different from the goal and the job of the linebacker, isn't it? They say they have the exact same goal, but the role they each play in fulfilling that goal is totally different. Well, there is a sense in which that is true in the home, too. Now, I don't know if I would use the word totally different, but yet as we as a team, as a family, have the goal of communicating God and there's going to be some things we do very much alike, we also see that there are distinct roles that each member of the family plays in fulfilling that. And when we're fulfilling our goals, we're going to have the best family we can have. We're going to have the strongest family we can have. We're going to have a family that does in our lives what we need and want a family to do. Last week, or a couple weeks ago now, we looked at the distinct and the individual role of the husband. And we saw that the key words for him were words like loving leader. And loving leader was even more described, even more defined by the word sacrifice. His role, his function on the team is to sacrifice. So a lot of times in the world, we use leadership to get what I want. We use leadership to get everybody serving my agenda. God's leadership is the exact opposite. 
I use my leadership to serve the agenda of the family, to serve the agenda of my wife, to serve their needs. That's what a God's leader looks like. And today we come and look at the distinct role of the wife. And the key word there is a word that has not been well accepted in the world. And oddly enough, it hasn't been very well accepted in the church either. And that is the word submission. You know, what's interesting about that word, and it appears in a couple of places, but I think most will think of Ephesians 5.22 where it says, Wives, submit to your husbands. But you know what a lot of us miss in that is what Ephesians 5.21 says. It says we are all to submit to one another. Men to women, women to men, young to old, old to young. We're all submitting, we're all yielding ourselves to serve the need, to help others. This is to be the DNA of the church. This is the DNA of a believer. And so when you understand it like that, ladies, you really are, as a wife, taking a lead in showing your home what this very important characteristic to the Christian life looks like. Remember what we said? We're communicating God. And Jesus was submissive, wasn't He? He yielded, He submitted to the Father's will all the way to the point that it carried Him to the cross. And wives, you show the home what that looks like. So that we leave the home and we become a part of a bigger family where we are all together submitting to and serving one another. Now, is that a demeaning role? Is that a role that makes you less than? Does Christianity and the Bible have something against women? Well, you know, the world would certainly say absolutely. They sure do. And as a matter of fact, a lot of churches today, a lot of churches today, you've heard me say this already, are embarrassed by this passage, embarrassed by this word. They find it offensive. Even the church is backing off of God's design. You know, that's, that's just wrong. That, that comes from a male chauvinistic society. That, that comes from another time, another culture, another place in history. We, we reject that now. Folks, you've got to understand, when we reject Ephesians 5.22, you're not rejecting Southern Baptist or male-dominated societies. You're not rejecting a pastor or a church or what is said there. You're, you're not rejecting anything but God. Because it is God who said that. Now, I don't think the offensiveness of that word lies with God. I think the offensiveness of that word lies with what we've done with it. The offensiveness of that word is in how it has been misused and how it has been misinterpreted. As a matter of fact, I think for us to really understand and begin to try to move forward in this word in a better light, we need to understand the mess we've gotten into with this word and, and why we're wrong. Why we don't understand and communicate this word appropriately. And I think there's several, re several ways we have misused, misinterpreted, misunderstood this word. The first one is we, we don't understand what God is doing in this word because we don't understand the rest of what Scripture has already taught. Scripture's already been very clear in what God thinks about men and women. And it starts right there in the beginning in Genesis 1. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female. No distinction. No higher and lower. As equals, they were created. 
Look at 1 Peter 3. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. Show her honor. Men, you are to honor your wives as a fellow. Fellow. That means equal. That means like you. Some of your passages may say co-heir. As a fellow heir, as a co-heir of the grace of life. Now look at what God is doing in just these two verses. How does God view men and women? What is Scripture taught about men and women? Well, it says if you go all the way back as far as you can go in the past to the beginning, to creation, how did God create male and female? He created them equal. If you come to the present and you've got a husband and wife standing there, God is saying, men, you better treat her as an equal now. Why? Because she is a fellow. She is a co-heir with you. It's to affect how you to treat her in the present. And what is heir a reference to? That's a reference to the future. That's a reference to when this man and this woman are standing before God. God is saying, you're going to stand there before me as equals. So if we go to the past, if we come to the present, if we go out into the future, in every single place, God is saying, men and women, a husband and wife are equal. So whatever I'm going to understand about this word submission, it is not an issue of inequality. It is not an issue of inferiority. The Scripture has already been clear about that. And we see another passage, 1 Corinthians 11, 3. The man is the head of the woman as God is the head of Christ. The wife relates to her husband in the same way that the son relates to the father. Now, simple question here. Is there an inequality Is there an inferiority? Is there a place of dishonor in the Trinity? Is there a place of dishonor between the Father and the Son? Well, we would say, of course not. Well, neither is there in marriage. There's no place of dishonor there. So the Scripture has been very clear in what it teaches, and God's not contradicting Himself when He moves to this concept of submission. A second reason I think we misunderstand and misinterpret this word is because we make the man's job easy and the woman's job hard. Now, that's not a factual statement. That's kind of an opinion. And and I really, to be honest with you, I think we all do this, but I kind of blame this on pastors. I think sometimes when we come to this passage, we have a tendency to, boy, I mean, it's just very concrete. It's just very clear, very hard what submission means. And And then, husbands, you love your wives, too. You know, that nice, warm, fuzzy feeling like you love hot dogs and apple pie and football. I mean, submitting sounds so hard and loving is just, yeah, you know. I mean, it just doesn't seem like it's a fair job assignment, does it? Now, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we've already looked at the the man's role. And we know that his job is equally as challenging. The man's job is equally difficult in that word sacrifice. The woman's job is equally difficult in that word submission. Because both words, and here's the hard part, both words require us to die to ourselves. Number one problem in marriage, number one problem in your marriage is selfishness. You may be happily married and working on year 37. Biggest issue you still have in your marriage is your selfishness. You are a selfish person. Some of us are getting a little bit further down the road in battling that issue, both big picture and in our marriage, and some are still trying to get the car going on that road. But see, what God calls us to is really death to self. Here again, God calls us to death to self in my relationships with all people. 
So he says, first and foremost, it should begin in the marriage. Men, I always uh, challenge you to be careful about calling your wife to submission. Actually, that's God's call on your wife. He calls her to submit to you. And do you realize that when she submits to you, when she follows you and trusts you, do you now realize that means the burden of that direction is entirely on you men? That means now God holds you and you alone. She did what she was supposed to do and came up under your leadership. Now the leadership for that moment or for that big decision is wholly on you as you stand before God. Now, I don't suggest we're fearful of that and run from that, but I sure think it means we're not flippant with submission either. Third reason we misunderstand, we misinterpret this, is because we absolutely do not understand history. And I've made this point a dozen times in, in different kinds of sermons, but folks, anybody who approaches Scripture with the idea that it degrades women is absolutely, they just may well bear, wear a big shirt that says, I'm stupid. They absolutely know nothing of what God's Word teaches. But let me tell you where else they're stupid. And by the way, you can tell them. My pastor said you were stupid. I'd be happy to debate them. Not only are they ignorant of Scripture, they're ignorant of history and sociology. Factual statement cannot be debated. Go anywhere on this planet today, go anywhere in the world today, and wherever women are treated with equality... And with dignity, you will find a place 100% of the time where Christianity and the Bible has had a significant impact. And the opposite is also 100% true. You go to any culture in history, you, you go to any place on this planet today that is degrading to women, and you will find a place that Scripture and Christianity has not had a significant impact on. Folks, you cannot separate the two. Whatever we try to do or understand with what God's Word is saying, the fact is the only place that women have been treated rightly is where God has been with Christ in our lives. Now, do people pick up the Bible and justify it to do wrong things? Oh gosh, yeah, over and over and over. But the Bible's not the problem. God's Word and God's instruction is not the problem. The problem is, and that kind of leads to our fourth issue here, is we don't understand what the problem is. The problem is sin. A very specific sin inside the marriage. Look at Genesis 3.16 here. It says, Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, a lot of you familiar with Scripture you know that at the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, it opens up with Adam and Eve's temptation and falling into sin. And after they fall into sin, the rest of chapter 3 is basically God detailing the impact that sin is going to have on humanity, the impact that it is going to have on the earth, the impact that it is going to have on the marriage. And he says, let me tell you what sin is going to do now to your marriage. Ladies, you're going to desire your husband. And that's not a sexual statement. That, that word is interpreted mastery over. Ladies, you're going to desire to master your husband. You're going to compete for his position. This verse is introducing us, by the way, to the battle of the sexes. 
This is where it started. This is where it goes back to. God said, this is exactly what's going to happen. Ladies, I created you to be a support, a compliment, a help, and you're now going to become a competitor. You're going to fight for your husband's position in the home. And men, you're now going to rule over her. That's not a positive statement. God is saying, I created you to be a loving leader, to serve her needs, but now you're going to use your strength You're going to use that position in the home to dominate, to overpower her. So folks, when we come to Ephesians chapter 5, and we talk about how difficult these verses are, and whether they're fair or not, understand God's heart. Ephesians 5 is showing us the way out. Ephesians 5 is showing us instructions on how to undo the impact of sin in our marriage. How to get back to the intimacy that we both want. The intimacy that we all want inside of a marriage. The intimacy that then produces the intimacy in the home. Folks, God is showing us how to get what we want. Not putting a heavy burden on us to punish us. So, kind of in summary here, let's let's think real clearly about what submission is not. Let's look at this list. Submission is not being a doormat, second class or inferior. Does that make sense as we look at all of God's Word here? This is not, that's nothing to do, that's what the world thinks women are being called to in the marriage, but that's not what Scripture teaches. Submission does not mean you don't have ideas or opinions. It doesn't mean you lose your identity. Remember, the person who most clearly showed us what submission looked like was who? Jesus. Did Jesus have any ideas? Did he have an identity? Absolutely. Submission does not mean you cannot be right. Submission does not mean you disobey the Lord to obey your husband. Now that's a big, huge statement right there. That's an overarching principle that needs a lot more unwrapping than we're going to do here this morning in how we apply that, how we still try to honor. But that is a question asked a lot. Especially by a, a Christian wife who's maybe married to an unbeliever or maybe a believer who's just far from the Lord and is, is fighting different things of God. And she's trying to ask that question, how do I submit? Overall, and again, I can't, I'm not this morning going to go into all the application of that. And it is tricky, but it does not mean you disobey the Lord to obey your husband. Submission does not mean you allow yourself to be sinned against. Okay, submission does not mean you go in and get beat up. That is nothing of what God is calling a woman to. Submission does not mean you have no places of leadership in the home. 1 Timothy 5.14 refers to the wife as the manager of the household. It's really a beautiful picture of the woman being the orchestrator. She's the one that is orchestrating all the lives in this house and getting everybody moving in concert together. Their schedules, their spiritual, emotional, and physical well-being. Everybody's doing all of these different things, going different places. The wife has that primary role of getting everybody coming together, working together, and moving in concert together is what that idea of manage behind. And that's the role of a woman. That's the role of a wife in the home. So we've been, I hope, somewhat clear on on why we don't understand the word submission. We've we've talked about what it does not mean, but ultimately we've got to understand what it does mean, don't we? And let's go to God's Word to do that. Would you turn with me, as we've already addressed, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some in the chairs in front of you there. I hope you'll grab one and study along. 
Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians kind of in the middle of your New Testament there. Got Corinthians and Galatians before it. Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians after it. You get in those books, you're in the neighborhood. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. That is God's Word. And folks, God's Word is good. It is always good. It is always for our well-being. Now, what does that word submission mean? It actually kind of comes out of a military concept. The word submission means to line up according to rank. Uh, the word submission means to place oneself under the authority of, or, uh, uh, the authority of another. It really does have a team concept in mind. The, the, the word submission states nothing about a person's value. It's not a, a status statement. It is a function statement. In other words, ladies, here's the function on this team. Here's the function in this relationship that you play so that this family, this relationship, best reveals God. So that this marriage has its best opportunity at intimacy. Here's the role. Here's the function that you play. God has placed the, the leadership of the home and the direction of the home squarely on the shoulders of your husband. And you come alongside as a support, as a compliment, as an encouragement in helping the home achieve its purpose. You are a support in that. I like the way... Uh, Dr. Young communicates this. I've quoted this before. Dr. Young was my pastor growing up. A lot of y'all are familiar with Ed Young. I, I call him Junior. He never refers to himself as Junior on TV, but he is Junior to those who know him. Uh, but Ed Young, the older one, was my pastor, wrote a, a book called Romancing the Home, and he says this, I think is a good explanation. Marriage is not a business arrangement where the husband holds 51% of the stock and the wife 49 no, it is a one flesh relationship where both parties confer, fully expressing their opinions, ideas, and desires. More often than not, there is agreement either initially or eventually. But when there is not, someone must make the call. And isn't that just reality? I mean, you can have a great marriage, you can agree on a lot of things, you can be tracking in the right direction, but there are times that you just... You get to a point, okay, now we've got to do something and you're still not in the same place. Somebody bears the responsibility of making that call. That responsibility is the man's and when the decision is made, the wife, if she is subject to her husband, supports that decision. Right or wrong, good or bad, she says, I'm with you to the end. You've decided I will follow. Now what does that following look like? Well, isn't that what Paul just gave us in this passage? He says, wives, as you're trying to, trying to figure this out, what does this look like as I follow my husband? Well, Ephesians 5.24 says, well, look at the relationship of Christ and the church. Watch how the church relates to Christ, and, and then you seek to relate that way to your husband. So I think about the church. Well, now, does, does, the, church, does the church fight Christ? 
Does the church challenge Christ? Does the church say, you know what? That's no good. I'm going to step over here and do my own thing. Does the church say, well, I just don't believe that's right. I really believe I have a better bead, a better idea on this than you do. No, we don't, we don't do any of those things. And you say, well, yeah, but it's Christ. It's easy, is it? I mean, doesn't, doesn't Christ ask us to do some things that are not easy at all? Sometimes we don't even like them. I mean, Christ is the one who asks us to forgive. Is that easy? I mean, let's be honest, folks. Some of us still, with an individual or situation, will not follow Him on that. We won't submit to Him on that. Man, forgiveness and witnessing and, 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 and giving and, and loving and serving. I mean, there's a lot of things that Christ asks us to do that are hard, that are challenging. Some things we're afraid of doing, don't like to do, don't fully understand why He would ask us to do. But you know what? If we're growing in Christ, we're going to come into submission, aren't we? We're going to seek to do that. But now, here's the rub. We come under submission to Christ because whether we like what He's saying or not, we do trust Him, don't we? We trust that He's good. We trust that He's right. We trust that His leadership has my, has our best interest in mind. But when it comes over here to the husband, is that always true? Is, is the husband always right? No. Does the husband always have the best interest of his wife and family in that decision? No. I mean, I do, Karen, but these others in here. I'm just talking about all the others, honey. No, I, I've not. I've made decisions in my home, and I'd love to say it was, you know, 17 years ago. You know, I've probably made decisions in the last 17 weeks where I made a decision that was really more centered around what I thought was comfortable or what I thought was good than the need of my family or the need of my wife. So see, it's easy for the wife to say, well, that's not fair because the church can trust Christ. I, I can't always trust Him. He's not always right. But ladies, here's where you have to ask yourself the question, what do you want? Well, I want to be right. Yeah, but that's, that's what the sin says. Fight to be right. Do you want intimacy? You want that oneness? You want your best opportunity to reveal God in that home? Then you yield and you submit. And you know what, ladies? God knows when you're submitting to a really bad idea. God knows when you're submitting to a husband that is not thinking on your best interest. He will be held accountable for that. And I believe, and this is a difficult statement because there's places I'd say, Lord, weren't you supposed to protect there? But I do believe God ultimately will protect, will bless, and will honor when you're following His Word in a really bad, dumb, selfish, sinful idea. You know, again, it, it becomes about what you want. Ephesians 5.33 goes a step further in describing what this submission looks like when it says, in summary, wives, respect. That's another word there. Respect your husbands. He has a, a primary need, a number one need in his life to be respected, to feel like he is the best thing since sliced bread. I mean, ladies, let me be honest with you. We haven't really gotten over it since P.E. in seventh grade. We need somebody who thinks we've got big muscles. You say, that is about the most shallow, ridiculous thing I've ever... 
I, I won't, I'm not going to debate you. What, what do you want? This is a need of your husband. To be respected, to be honored, to be looked up to somewhere in his world. And that does give you the best opportunity to impact and to influence your husband in a right and good and wonderful way. I like the way George Gilder said this in Men in Marriage. Now, some of you may not agree with this statement. I, sometimes I look at it and say, that, that almost makes it sound like a man needs a woman or he can't do anything right. Uh, but I tell you what, I, I think he's got something here that is at least worth thinking about. And I'll tell you something, I know it's true in my life. Look at this statement by George Gilder. Women are actually more important to the stability and productivity of men than men are to the well-being of women. When a wife believes in her husband, boy, I, I missed something there, maybe a point of disagreement. When a wife believes in her husband and deeply respects him, he gains the confidence necessary to compete successfully and live responsibly. She gives him a reason to harness his masculine energy to build a home, obtain and keep a job, remain sober, live within the law, spend money wisely, etc. Without positive feminine influence, he may, and that's the operative word there, folks, is may. Okay, he's not saying this is true all the time, but he may redirect the power of testosterone, and testosterone definitely needs to be directed. He may redirect the power of testosterone in a way that is destructive to himself and society at large. Interesting thought. Ladies, God is telling you in these commands how to serve and meet the needs of your husband. And he has two primary needs in his life. And you know what? You're not going to meet these needs without a spirit of submission. Because your own way of looking at things would look at these two needs and say, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen and he's not worth it. <laughs> but his two great needs are respect and sexual fulfillment. And you know what, ladies? You may think, well, I do a really good job of giving him respect. You can't separate the two. Because your husband has this ability, it's, it's kind of interesting, to almost define everything sexually. I don't know if that's something that sin messed up the wiring on, but we can define almost everything by sex. You say, really? I mean, can you prove that? Look at any commercial directed at men. It's the way we see and think. And here's the thing. I'm, not, I'm actually not being one bit funny here. You can be very supportive in your voice, but if you do not find your husband sexually desirable... And, and seek to bring sexual fulfillment. It doesn't matter what else you do to communicate respect. He won't be able to connect it. He won't see the respect without that. Now again, whether it's, you know, you know, he needs to be thought of with big muscles or he needs sexual fulfillment, it's very easy. I know, ladies, step back and look at that. That's just ridiculous. That is shallow. That is stupid. What do you want? Do you want to build a debate for how shallow and stupid he is? Or do you want to have the opportunity to influence a man for good in life and in your marriage? To serve and meet needs as Christ served and met needs. Remember what we've said. Said it with men. I'm going to say it with you. You're not being asked to do anything that Christ didn't do for you. When God said, go into that world and die on a cross for her, 
Couldn't Christ have said, well, that's stupid. She's shallow. She's not worth it. She's not doing anything for me. Couldn't he have said that? But he didn't. Instead, he came and he submitted. He yielded to the Father's plan. Now, I want to say something here, men. Especially since I've brought up this topic on sexuality. And I don't know if you noticed in the bulletin, next week, uh, the whole sermon is on that three-letter word. Um, just a little warning here. It might be a good day to find out how good children's church is for your, your children. I, you can bring them in here. It's just a matter of what you want to discuss on the way home. Uh, whatever you feel comfortable talking about. And uh, I know some of you are wondering, I can't wait to see what the discussions questions are going to be next week. Um, but man, let me say something. Hard word here. God is not, God is not asking your wife to submit to a sexual design or a sexual appetite built by pornography. I am blown away by the men. And they're sitting in here. I doubt there's ever a church that has more than 100 people in it where they're not sitting in there. That think that pornography is not a sin, that it's, it's okay, that it's no big deal, that it's not hurting anybody. To watch it is a sin. To make it is a sin. To fund it with your money is a sin. There's not a single aspect of that that is right under God. The entire thing is lust-based and Jesus spoke very directly and very harshly about lust. Jesus actually said, lust is the exact same as adultery. In God's eyes, you're just as guilty as if you'd gone out and done that yourself. So no, he's not asking your wife to submit to something that has been built or fed by pornography. Men, if you're struggling in that... If you see your life being drawn down that road, you need help. It is no different than crack cocaine. You will not beat it by yourself. And I encourage you to get help. Email me. I will not give you three steps and it's all over by Friday. It's corrected and cleaned out of your life. It's a battle. But email me and I'll give you some steps to at least begin taking on this battle and fight. You don't even have to tell me who you are. I don't care if you want help. Let me give you some things to begin helping that. Call our counseling ministry and get some help. But I promise you this. You will not conquer it on your own. And you will not conquer it without very concrete steps to fight that and bring it to an end in your life. That is not what God is asking your wife to submit to. You know, ladies, I realize in closing here today... When we talk about submission, again, I go back to kind of how I started. Your, your problem is not with God and with God's Word. It's in how hard it is to do that, maybe with your husband. And boy, I hope that's not true for a whole lot of you in here. I hope, I hope for a lot of women in here, submission is a blessing. It's an honor that you, you see the worth in your husband of doing that. But I, I know that's not the case across this room. I know that's not the case. And you hear this word, you hear this idea and how you go home and apply that in your setting and you literally break out in a cold sweat because of what that can mean and what that does mean. And you know, I thought, man, Lord, have you, have you seen what the world is like today? And God reminded me, you know, Randy, oddly enough, there was unworthy husbands when I wrote this passage. 
Okay, unworthy husbands, difficult husbands are not new. That didn't just happen in the year 2000. When God instructed, when God inspired Paul to write those words, there was a lot of bad husbands then too. God knew what he was writing. And I think, ladies, to understand this, to pray through it, and to take it on, I think two things are helpful. Number one, make God your motive, not your husband. You're not doing this for your husband. You're not doing this because of the worthiness of your husband. You're doing this for God. Well, why would I do it for him? Because he did it for you. Make God, not your husband, your primary target, your primary motive. Number two, see it as your God-given strategy to the marriage and husband you want. It may be a long road. It may be a very difficult road. It may be a road that might look like it's not producing any fruit at all. But listen to me. Submission is not a tool that God gave men over you. Submission is the tool God gave you to revealing God in this marriage and home. To discovering intimacy. To having the marriage that you want. You use submission. Not your husband. You use it. The bottom line, submission works. Do you realize I can make this statement? Not a single person in this room or on this planet can disprove it. Oprah, feminism, another religion, Satan have not done a single thing to further the cause of women on this planet. Not a single thing. And anything they might do, they're capitalizing on what they learned out of Christianity. They're not going to help you in your identity. They're not going to help you in your marriage. They do not have a road to that. Only God does. And yes, your husband can make this road a lot more difficult. There's a lot of commands in Scripture that are difficult, aren't they? We don't get to dismiss them because it's difficult. We don't get to dismiss them because it's hard. We don't get to dismiss them because it costs us. We accept them because at the heart of every one of them is God's goodness for us. Submission works. It's not easy. Oh my gosh, I hope you don't hear me saying a single thing in this message that implies it's easy. It's hard. With the best husband, it's hard. But it works. God's way always does. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would trust your word, whether your word is telling us to go to another culture and to share the gospel. Whether your word is telling us to give of our income and resources to, to support and be involved with the advancing of the kingdom of God. To trust that your word is right and good when it tells us to forgive somebody that is not sorry, that is not changing, and is going to take advantage of it. May we trust and see the goodness of your word when it tells us to love and serve and we do that. And Gosh, it just doesn't ever seem like the same is done for us. God, give us faith in your word. Not in short-term fruit. Not in short-term rewards. But God, may we have faith in, the, in Your way and that it works in the long run. Your way and that it will absolutely work when we're standing before You. 
regardless of how another person is acting, your word is always the best opportunity to influence, to impact, and to change that environment and that, con- that circumstance. Give us wisdom how we follow that. And God, in all of these things, how much more that that begin and happen in our home, in our marriage, in our family relationships. Oh God, may our homes be the place that most clearly announce to the world, that clearly give witness to the world, God's Word is right. God, would You give us that faith, that strength? Would You give us that encouragement? We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.